found a number of places, not only outside of Hebrews, but in the New Testament. And it's all referencing the same theme. But none more frequently here in the book of Hebrews. This word, better. The Hebrews is such, it's such a relevant book. I mean, today, I mean, not that I'm trying to, oh, let's be relevant, let's be hip, let's be cool. It's just as I'm going through life and the Lord is ministering to me from the book of Hebrews, I want to share it with you. But it, it is a relevant book about persevering in faith. It reminds us of the various challenges that, that face us daily. It just, just as we struggled to walk this Christian life. Someone said, I think even this last night at our time of fellowship, man, the Christian life is hard. Well, it is. And yet it's so easy. <laughs> yet it's, it's so doable. So we need to hear this message today as much as the congregation, the recipients of this letter back then heard the sermon. They were struggling to hang on to this outdated, outmoded Old Testament form of worship. And to be honest, they kind of longed to go back. They want to go back to what was familiar. And the author of Hebrews is kind of noticing this and seeing this and he's saying, no, <laughs> Jesus is better than that. Don't go back. We have similar struggles in our day. We do. All of us. Even those of us here this morning. And so the Word is telling all of us right now, Jesus is better. We often struggle with letting past forms of, uh, of thinking or past forms of thought that we had before we were Christians. We, we have a hard time giving up these thoughts and these worldviews. Or maybe we struggle with just giving in to all the current ideas that are floating around and just being bombarded month after month, celebrating things we don't want to celebrate. We need to have our mind and our worldview transformed by the renewing of our mind by the Scripture as the Holy Spirit invades us and helps us endure and persevere. These things, as, as we go with these doctrines or, or, or cling to these old thoughts, they stunt our growth as believers. They rob us of joy. They rob us of, of satisfaction and the security and blessing of all who are in faith in Christ. Who all, the blessings of walking uprightly before the Lord and being in fellowship with Him. They rob us of that. And we need it so desperately. So Hebrews is written to us as well. You may think Hebrews was written to set the here because I've got it printed. You may think Hebrews was written to a group of coffee fanatics. It's, it's, you may have thought that, but it's not. Come on, that was like such an old but goody one. All right, it was written to a group of converted Jews. And imagine their context. All they have at that time was the Old Testament. That's all they had. And they had this strong Jewish heritage They've been trained by rabbis and teaching them the scripture from, from infancy. And in their day, angel worship has, has become very popular. And it seems some of them are wavering in their commitment to Jesus. And so the pastor, again, is saying in, in this sermon, and Hebrews really is a, a wonderful sermon. At times it comes across as a letter. Sometimes it's just like beautifully just this doctrine. And then sometimes, again, it just comes as a sermon. He's bringing it. But this pastor is saying to them, don't go back. Don't turn your back on Jesus. He's our only hope. It's far too common for believers to come joyfully after hearing God's word, yet when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, quickly fall away. It's far too common for people to hear the word joyfully, 
but then allow the worries of life and, and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. Guys, they were wavering in their commitment. They were, they were wavering in their commitment to Jesus, and we're going to see, and I pray that we see, that the commitment to following Jesus is something that has to be renewed daily. Something that has to be renewed regularly, over and over. The author of this sermon, this, this letter, this book, focuses on Jesus, stressing that He is the, the final the finality, or He is the final and superior word or dynamic of the Christian faith. It's not Jesus and, it's Jesus. The author uh, and Bible commentator, maybe you've heard him, Larry Richards, he says this, the book of Hebrews begins with Jesus. Total confidence in Him must be the basis of our new life and of our identity as Christians. It's important to realize that all there is of salvation for us is to be found in Jesus. So I want to I pray. We're going to read Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, and this is where you can throw it on the screen. We're going to read this in just a minute, but let, let's pray again. Lord, we come from so many different backgrounds and walks of life and different seasons of life. Some of us chasing children. Some of us longing to have our children back. Some of us desperate and afraid as our children are leaving that they're, they're not ready. We haven't done enough. Lord, we are in seasons of retirement. We're in seasons of, of school. We're in the rubber years trying to figure out our place in life. We're in the, the shaping years trying to refine and, and become masters of our craft. We're in seasons of life. Lord, we've walked with you, some of us, 40, 50 years. Some of us a year, maybe less. God, your word is relevant and needed to all of us. Your spirit is needed. So we ask God, with desperate hearts. Speak to us from your word. Give us ears to hear, a heart to receive. No matter where we are in life, Lord, speak to us. Help us remain strong in you. Strengthen us for your glory and our benefit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's read Hebrews chapter 1, 1 through 4 together. We have it on the screen. I'll read. You just follow along. In the past... God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom also He made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being sustaining all things by His powerful Word. Man, this is epic. After He had provided purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty in Heaven. So He became as much superior to the angels as the name He has inherited is superior to theirs. Do you ever feel that your faith is wasting away? That it's just hard? We've coined terms, backsliding. 
whatever it is, I'm just I'm not doing so well, I, I'm not where I should be. Do you feel that your faith is wasting away? Or Let me ask you this, do you find it hard to pray? Is it difficult? Maybe you feel that your faith or your experience in worship, your experience in church has, has come up short. You see other people and you wish you had what they had, and so you feel disappointed, maybe even desperate. And you're beginning to look somewhere else. Are you looking somewhere else for the satisfaction that has escaped you? Or for the hope that eludes you? For the fulfillment that you lack? Guys, if you're there, if you're remotely there, Hebrews is waiting for you. The author, the preacher of this message is saying that Jesus is better than whatever else. Some young kid this morning just said Jesus is better than everything else. God, I pray he means that. And he means that every day of his life. Guys, the this, this preacher of this message is saying Jesus is better. Everybody say it with me, Jesus is better. He's a better Savior. He's a better priest. He's a better sacrifice for a better covenant. And he's a better way of life. So if you're lacking, if you're, if you're empty, if you feel just, just spiritually dry, it's not because Jesus is not what you need or he's not all that you need. It's because you don't have enough Jesus. And one of the reasons why this word better keeps occurring in the letter, in the sermon of the Hebrews, is because we are so tempted to think that we can find something better. We are so tempted that this is better, this is what I need. And, it, and man, it, we, are, we are so easily fooled. We don't even feel the struggle. And it just happens and we go with whatever temptation let, drew us away. And the author is saying, no, Jesus is better. There's not something out there better than Jesus. Jesus is better than anything else. And guys, I, I want you to feel this, this theme. I want, I want you to see it in the book of Hebrews, not just taking my word for it. So keeping your Bible open, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 9. We're going to skip ahead just briefly. We're going to read here that the author of Hebrews, it says that we are convinced of a better thing in your case. Things that have to do with salvation. So in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 9, he's speaking of a, a better salvation. Look at Hebrews chapter 7, verse 19. You, you guys try and turn to this, but I'm just going to go through since I've, we've provided it for you on the screen. And if you are taking notes, just, just jot them down. But Hebrews, next one is Hebrews chapter 7, verse 19. There he speaks of a, a better hope by which we draw near to God. Guys, we've got a better salvation and a better hope in Jesus. Now look at Hebrews 7, verse 22. It says, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. We not only have a better salvation, not only have we have a better hope, we have a better covenant in Jesus. Turn forward to Hebrews 8, verse 6. Jesus has received... Jesus has received is, is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one, since the new covenant is established on better promises. And as we go through, as we, as we teach through this, we'll, we'll dive into these things. You may be asking, what covenant? Write that question down. We will come back to that. Maybe not today, but we will come back to that. So again, we not only have a better covenant, we have better promises. Guys, we see this word better, but also we see this word superior. We see this word more excellent. This is a theme. 
This is something that is all throughout Hebrews. This is what Hebrews is about. There is something better out there. That's the main point. Turn forward to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 23. Hebrews 9, verse 23. It says, It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. And so with Jesus, we have a better sacrifice. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So the gospel that brings Jesus gives you a better and abiding possession or inheritance. Now turn forward to Hebrews 11, verse 16. Hebrews 11, verse 16. says, they desire, the, 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 these pilgrims of, of the faith in the, in the days of the Old Covenant, what did they desire? What was their hope? What did they long for? It says, instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Guys, and we have that in Christ. Look at Hebrews 11, verse 35. What do these Old Covenant saints endure? They were tortured. They refused to accept release. Why? So they might rise again to a better life. A new, eternal life. Hebrews 11, verse 40 says, God has planned something better for us so that not only together with us would they be, pardon me, God has planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Guys, I want you to feel the theme of better in your bones. You might feel like, like I'm beating a dead horse. I want you to feel it. Everybody say better. And I want, you to, I, want, I want you to feel it, and I want you to do so by looking directly at the description of Jesus found back here in Hebrews chapter 1. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, 1 through 4, gives us a description of Jesus that sets the foundation of why and how Jesus is better in all these things that we have named off. So the first thing you're going to see in verse 1, it's really the f- verse 1 and the first half of verse 2, it's simply this. The Son, Jesus, is God's final word. Look what he says. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. Guys, the author of Hebrews is emphasizing that Jesus is God's final word to us. There's no word beyond, there's no word better than Jesus. There's no word beyond or better than him that God will speak to his people. Jesus is God's final word. And just think of the, the significance of that in, this, in, in their context. He's speaking to Hebrew Christians from a Jewish background. They've received true and clear revelation of God from the prophets in various times and in various ways. 
But in contrast to that, Hebrews is saying, the author is saying that God has spoken to you now by his son. Not just his servants, not just his prophets, but his son. His son's person, his son's works, his son's words. And there's never going to be anything superior to his son. A better revelation from God doesn't exist than the revelation he has given to us by his son. Guys, are you familiar with the parable of the vineyard owner who sent messengers to his tenants? He wanted to receive some of the fruit that he had rented out. And so he sent these messengers. And what happened to them time after time after time? They were beaten and sent away. And so in Luke chapter 20, verse 13, the owner of the vineyard says, What shall I do? I will send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. Because now, by the way, just, just saying that, that Jesus is God's final word, the author, the author of, of Hebrews is contradicting several worldviews surrounding us right now. There's the worldview of plural, pluralism. They, they, they want to say that Jesus is a truth, but he's not the truth. They want to say what's right for you is, is, is right for you. Maybe Jesus is, is, is God's word for you, but not for me. Assuming then that there's another word. This, this worldview of pluralism says he's a truth, but not the truth. But the Hebrew author is saying no. Jesus is God's final word. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Or we are our Muslim friends. We love them. We do. We love them. But our Muslim friends want us to believe that Jesus was a prophet, not the final and greatest prophet. The author of Hebrews is standing up on his toes and he's saying, no, Jesus is God's final word. He is God's fullest revelation of who he is and how he saves. And we live in a day and an age where Mormonism is expanding all around us. You know, we have, we've actually a lot of Mormons in this area, surprisingly. They don't, they don't think they have a church. They don't fellowship here. They have to go to Campbellsville. But Mormonism is expanding in the world, and Mormonism claims to have an ongoing revelation, more revelation than we've ever had before. It just keeps coming, and the author of Hebrews is saying, no, Jesus is God's final word. You guys, and I, just, just chew on this with me for a minute. Sit back and think about this. Do you understand what the author of Hebrews is saying? What, what he's claiming? He's claiming that we have a more clear and more full revelation of God in Jesus, in the gospel, than any of the greatest Old Testament saints. You have a more full understanding and revelation of God given to you in Jesus than Moses did. Then Abraham did, even David. Jesus, is, it says he is the image of the invisible God. The exact representation, God's final word to us. What a blessing and privilege is that. What a, what a, what a blessing. So much information, revelation of, of who God is. This mysterious God, because of his own reasons, stepped out of his privacy and made himself known to us through the person of Jesus. Amazing. But also, what an accountability now do we have with this? We've been given a full revelation of God to us in Jesus, and it calls on us to believe. It beckons us to make a decision. That's the first thing I want you to see. The Son is God's final word. 
The second thing is this. You're going to see it in the second half of verse 2 and all of verse 3. And it's simply this. This Jesus who we believe in. This Jesus whom the, this, this book preaches. This Jesus offered up in the gospel. This Jesus, again, that we believe in, who is the, God's divine son. Or pardon me, is God's divine son. We say it all the time. He's the son of God. What does that mean? Now look, look with me in the second half of verse 2 and all of verse 3. We're going to be able to count up maybe, maybe six, seven ways that the author of Hebrews crams into these two verses talking about Jesus, showing us how he is the Son of God and exactly what that means. He wants you to get an idea of Jesus' greatness, his superiority. He wants you to get an idea, oh, again, what it, what it means to say he is God's Son, that he is fully divine. So first of all, notice what he says, that Jesus is the heir of all things. God appointed him what? Heir. Verse 2, heir of all things. Now you don't need a lot of learning or, 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 or time in school to, to know again, about inheritance law to understand this. Simply, if Jesus is the heir of all things, how are you going to participate in anything how are you going to inherit or gain anything? He's the heir to, of all things. How will you receive anything? If Jesus is the heir of all things, is there anything outside of all things? All right, we're on the same page. If Jesus is the heir of all things, how are you going to participate in his inheritance? Only if you are related to him. If he's the heir of all things, if, in the, if in, in the end everything is coming to him, how are you going to share in his inheritance only if you are united to him by faith? That's the only way you're ever going to inherit eternal life. It's the only way you're going to ever inherit whatever blessings and glories we get to receive and, and enjoy in heaven. Is you, if you are united with Jesus, that's the only way. You want to be a part of his will? You have to be united to Jesus by faith because he's the heir of, everybody say everything. So that's the first thing the author of Hebrews says about him. He's the heir of all things. The second thing is this. God made the world through him. Now look at verse two. It says, through whom also he created the world. Jesus is the one through whom God made the world. Good Hebrews understand that God was the maker of, of heaven and earth. But when the author tells you that, that Jesus is the one through whom God created the world, he's telling you that Jesus is God. He was, he was there. He created all things. We know there's this creator God. It's Jesus. I mean, this, this is mind-blowing. Understanding that someone, guys, is the author of a work, like you go out with, and you're looking at some kind of art show, and you're standing next, man, that's pretty good. Oh, you're an artist too? Man, I'm probably not as good as this guy. Well, actually, I did that. Whoa, I've got so much more respect for this person knowing that this is what they've done. Jesus created the world. He created everything. And, and it's the, this is presented here is designed to raise our esteem for this person. For us to give them due esteem for what they've created. So, first, he's the heir of all things and through whom he created the world. Third, if you notice again in verse 3, the author of Hebrews says that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. 
The sun is the radiance. That is the revelation of, of the glory of God. So that if you want to know the glory of God, you look at the sun. And so many times, I mean, like kings, we're trying to, trying to get like a, a, maybe a modern day, even though we don't have a lot of kings. We have monuments. We have presidents. And we, and we, wanna, we want you to know how, how, how valuable they were to our country. We want you to know of their glory and of, of all the things that they've done. And so we create these statues and these, these monuments so that when you look at these monuments, you are reminded and it's stirred of you, wow, that was a great man. Or man, he did, he did some wonderful things. The author of Hebrews says that if you want to see God's glory, Look at Jesus. He is the monument of God designed to show us how wonderful God is. That's the third thing he says. He goes on and says the fourth thing in verse 3. It says, He is the exact imprint of His nature. That is, He is, he is the, the exact representation of God's nature. You know how if you take a seal, we got this for, for Kennedy, as he loves to write letters. You take a seal and, and you dip it in wax and you stamp something and you pull it up. What was left there is the exact representation or the, the mere image of the seal. You know what I'm talking about? You step that down there, you pull it up, and it's exactly what was on here. The author of Hebrews is saying that Jesus is the exact representation of God. It was once said, there is no... There is in God no unchrist likeness at all. There is in God no unchrist likeness. Isn't that a beautiful way of saying it? Jesus exactly represents to us what God is like because he is God in the flesh. But the, op the author of Hebrews isn't done. <laughs> He's packing so much in here. He said a, a fifth thing. Look at verse 3. Speaking of Jesus, he upholds the universe. By the word of his power. He, he is the upholder of all things by the word of his power. Now, again, back then they had Greek mythology. Now, just imagine Atlas. You guys know Atlas, the guy who, who held you know, up, uh, up the, the world? I don't know if that's going to go over a lot of your guys' heads. You know, he's, he's holding the world from Greek mythology, holding up the earth. But the author of Hebrews is saying that Jesus does more than that. He not only upholds the world, he moves it towards his ultimate end and destiny. He sustains it. He's in charge of it. He upholds it. He is the providential upholder of all things. This Jesus who we worship. Now look again at verse 3. This is the, the sixth thing. Speaking of Jesus, talking about after making purification for sins. Jesus has completed the work of purification. Do you want to have the guilt of your sins dealt with? Maybe you walked in this morning just, just feeling guilty. And it's on the back of your mind. Maybe you've been feeling this way for a while and you're really good at drowning it out. You don't have to. Jesus has already dealt with it. Now, the author of Hebrews doesn't tell you how yet he will, but right now he's just telling you that Jesus is the one who deals with sins. He's the only one who can deal with sins. He's the only one who can give you forgiveness so that you can have a clear conscience. Nothing and nobody can deal this way with your sins. So whatever you've been trying to deal with it with, whoever you've been seeking out for help, Jesus is better when it comes to dealing with sins. Guys, do you have the, the sense of awe and reverence 
and love, I mean, and trust and joy that this is the Jesus we worship. I mean, I'm excited. You know, like, like we've got a lot of sports fanatics in here. I mean, I, I could care less. But if you just think about, though, in times past, when you get so excited, man, I'm rooting for, like, the, the, the favorite here. You know, the, my team is stacked, and you're excited. Yeah, I'm actually finally on the winning team or something, you know, like that. We, we, this, is, this is the author and finisher of our faith. We're on the winning team. This ought to stir in us, again, awe and, and reverence and love and trust and, and joy that we get to be with this Jesus. Is he your God and your Savior and your Master and your friend? Yes, your friend and your treasure. Guys, are, are you earnest about Jesus? Think about, think about your relation to him even this morning. Think about the time you spent with Jesus this morning. Think about the time you spent this morning. Did you spend it with Jesus? This amazing Jesus. Did you think on Him? Did you keep close fellowship with Him through the day? For those who have tasted and seen, we're not talking about learn about Him or talk about Him. I'm talking with Him, being with Him. So much better. So do you think about him? Do you, do you keep close fellowship with him throughout the day? Or are you like so many who just make light of him through neglect or scorn or trifling? Just think about your relationship with Jesus too. Does it grieve you, for example, when you see cartoon images of this Jesus? And they're everywhere. Does it grieve you? Does it upset you when you hear jokes about Jesus? Does it, does it just like turn and rub you the wrong way when you hear people you know, in a cursing manner, in an unholy manner, say his name? Does it actually does it, does it do anything to you? The whole world is being brought to ruin by trifling with infinite holiness. We make light of it. And I know for you, a lot of you men, hopefully all of you men, if somebody was to make fun and tease or make a joke about your wife, oh no, <laughs> take my earrings off. <laughs> You'd be thrown down. And we said Jesus is better than everyone. How come we don't have the same reaction? It ought, it, it ought to just, just, just reveal to us right now Again, we lack. And the point of this chapter, the whole Bible, is to make us passionately devoted to the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ as the revealer and the ruler and the redeemer and the creator God. But in America, we have so many idols. And some of you were honest enough to name them this morning. We have so many idols. We have countless things today that we prefer to worship. There's countless things that we adore more than Jesus. Charles Spurgeon, I love this quote. I've said it a million times. It, I don't, I, actually, it's sad. I don't love it that it's true, but it, it just, it, it, it's, it's so spot on. He said, the heart is a perpetual factory of idols. Whether it's fitness, college football, cars, bikes. I had to throw that in there. 
your house, you name it. We have so many things that demand from us the same adoration and commitment that should be reserved for Jesus. Maybe you don't want to call these things idols. You just say, yeah, I just like them. But are they diversions? Are they robbing you of time spent at the feet of Jesus? Is entertainment, leisure time, hobbies, are pastimes truly innocent all the time? I want to go through five tests for idolatry. Because anything that you cannot say Jesus is better than it is an idol in your life. And idols kill. They promise so much. But in the end, they destroy and they demand costing so much. So five tests. We're just going to go through them briefly so we can decide for ourselves. Number one, the test of time and attention. How much time, devotion, unquestioned loyalty do I give to this diversion? What about passion and intensity of devotion and the depth of loyalty? How much time and money go into this adulation at the expense of other things? That's how much time and attention do I give to this thing? I had the opportunity to share with a young man even this morning. Love, and I love, I love that he approaches me, and I love that he shares the latest YouTube video that just had him cracking up. But I said, dude, I'm tired of hearing you talk about YouTube videos. When are you going to talk about Jesus? You spend, waste too much time devoting yourself, watching, watching these just pointless things. Number two, the test of the willingness to question and evaluate. Are you actually willing to question your devotion to this thing? Are you willing to step back and question it? As where is the line between interest and worship? And how will I know when I've crossed that line? So this is a test. If somebody questions and bring this up, do you initially, first, right off the bat, put your guard up? Don't be questioning this thing. <laughs> it could be an idol in your life. So are you even willing to question and evaluate this? That's a sign it might be an idol. Number three, the test of public signs of devotion. The devotees to gods and idols are commonly, they make their devotion public through their behavior. Clothing and, and emblems. Again, this is a test. But so often they give public displays, advertising where their loyalties are so everybody will know there's no confusion. T-shirts, clothing, stickers, and decals. Again, this is a test. But do you find your closet filled with items of affiliation or loyalty to something? Maybe it's a game. Maybe it's a sports team. I mean, just again, do you? Is your clothing full of, I don't, I, I don't know any sports teams you guys like, but Alabama or whatever, you know, like that could be an idol in your life that you are constantly wearing these things. Number four, the test of comparative devotion with other gods or loyalties. For example, loyalty and devotion to Christ. If I evaluate my interests if I, we say, look at your checkbook, and you see that's where your God is. If so, if I evaluate my interests, my time, my money use, the amount of intensity of attention, what comes out on top? 
If I just start breaking it down, if you come up with what, 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 your top five, what is number one? What is, what is second? What is third? What, what is fourth? Again, where, where does Jesus come in? I think for some of us, he might not even be in the top five. So whatever, whatever is on top, that is your functional idol. Five, the test of just ethical ethics, effects. <laughs> what behaviors follow from my worship? So just think about that, that, that interest or that hobby or that relationship, whatever it is. Are we ethically sensitive to the effects of that devotion? Are we actually aware of how devotion to that is having a ripple effect on other people and other relationships? Do we see how that relationship is affecting other areas of my life? Or does my loyalty produce ethical insensitivity? Do I, am I not aware of how it's hurting people? Am I not aware of how it's robbing me of my time that I should be spending with Jesus? Or number two or number three, given that they're, they're holy, number twos and number threes. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 says, Examine yourself to see whether you are living in the faith. I think this, this is an ongoing thing. We need to regularly test ourselves. It says, do you not realize that Jesus Christ, this guy that we've just been studying, Hebrews chapter 1, is just breaking us so many, breaking it down, who he is and how great he is. Do you not realize that he is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Guys, in Hebrews tells us, no matter what you may bow down to, no matter what you may lift up as an idol, whatever you may value and cherish and adore, fixate on, dream of, desire, whatever it is in your life, Jesus is better. Please say it with me. Jesus is better. Thomas Calmers, in his famous sermon, the, the expulsive power of a new affection, developed the idea that humans naturally orient themselves around whatever they think is most valuable. We naturally associate with what we think is most valuable. And let's just think about that. If that's true, then for the, the current occupant of your heart's throne to be unseated, a new thing of more significant value must unseat it. Did you guys catch that? So as the author of Hebrews is writing to a bunch of Hebrew Christians who, who came into the scene as treasurers of the Old Testament, which is a, a major part of the narrative of God's work in human history, the author is writing to remind to his readers Jesus is the most valuable. He's writing to remind them that Jesus is their most precious possession, even in comparison to all the heroes and natural glories of Israel. Israelite history. And they got some crazy things that they can claim. But Jesus is better. He isn't just the hero of, of, of the pagan world. He's the hero of the entire Bible. It's all about him. Jesus is the hero of the universe. And guys, he is worthy of all of our attention, all of our lives. So take the advice, guys, of, of Hebrews as we go through. And I pray that you'll continue along with us. You'll be reading this with your with, with your family just read it not just once but twice 20 times and take the advice of the author of hebrews make jesus comparisons a regular part of your life compare jesus to things in your life regularly 
Develop two bins into which you put potential rivals to Christ. Some rivals are sins and idols, Islam, pornography, bitterness, greed. Call these out for what they are. They're enemies to God's throne, and there should be no place given to them in the Christian life. Put them in that bin. You ain't got a question about it. Dump them. Get rid of them. Kick them. Pour gasoline. Burn them. Mail them. Drop them in the end of the sea. Run away from them. As far as the east is from the west. You get it? Can I get it right on? <laughs> That's the first bin. The rivals, the sins and idols, get rid of them. But in your second bin, put those good things in their rightful place. Heroes of the faith. Spiritual disciplines. Godly pursuits. The Christian family. This is, this is a good bin, but it's not the best bin. They're good things, but they're not the excellent thing. And you make these comparisons as you give yourself to this practice of, of sorting through the rivals in your life to Christ's throne. As you do that, you will find yourself prioritizing Jesus more and more, and it'll become easier and easier. I'm going to close with the lyrics to the song, Nothing Better Than Jesus. I'm just going to read it for you, and then we'll pray. There's nothing better than Jesus. Oh, happy are the ones who belong to you. There is nothing better than Jesus, the one who is the life and the only truth. And when you come, you fill our lives with fruit. There is nothing better than you. What a beautiful world you've made for us, filled with wonderful gifts that show your love. The mountains and the valleys, the planets and the stars, but none of these compare with who you are. What a beautiful thing you've done for us. Came to die for our sins upon the cross. You love the weak and humble who run to you for help. You have the power to save like no one else. Planets and oceans, towering trees, Jesus is greater than all of these. Armies and airplanes, princes and kings, Jesus is stronger than everything. Presents and birthdays, Jesus is better. Forever and always, Jesus is better. Better than everything that you can imagine, Jesus is better than all. Let's close. Father, help us mean this in our heart. Help us be free from these idols that rob us of life and joy that can only be found in You. We ask, Lord, for help. We thank You for Your Word, which is help. We thank You for Your Spirit that gives help and understanding and as it applies this word to our life, God, thank you. Lord, help us again. Be receptive. Give us good hearts, clean hearts. Give us ears to hear. Lord, we are so desperate for your help. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.